Hi, it's JP Mac, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am your host, JP Mac, and welcome again to the podcast. And so, right off the top, um, we know now that there will be an impeachment inquiry. Um, with regards to Hunter Biden, well, with regards to President Biden, and of course involving uh, his son Hunter. So that's going to happen. So I guess uh, Kevin McCarthy must have heard my podcast from the other week, and he got in touch with his inner Pelosi and put his big boy pants on and decided, after all, to go with the, um, the will of the majority of his party and launch an impeachment inquiry into the corruption of the Biden family. So, I'd like to say that this was an uh, initiative of his part, but as you know, uh, in recent weeks he's getting cold feet and it took a little bit of a kick in the rear by Congressman Matt Gates uh, in particular to say hey remember your promises um, that you made in order to uh, be elected speaker and so you have McCarthy uh, coming kicking and screaming um, going along with the impeachment inquiry. Now, of course, it didn't take this much, uh, nearly that much, to uh, convince Nancy Pelosi to launch her, her impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump. Um, but here we are. But regardless of how we got here, we are now here, and now we need to just go full speed ahead, damn the pe- torpedoes, full speed ahead with this impeachment inquiry. Now I know the uh, conventional logic, which is not lost on me at all, I, uh, you can trust, is that we have a, a Senate that's uh, basically controlled by the Democrats, and of course there's not nearly enough votes in the Senate to oust President Biden and particularly they, we don't have 10 votes and we don't have 60 votes um, we can unfortunately expect the uh, Democrats to act in a corrupt manner only you know with regards to what provides them with power and not what necessarily is for the good of the country. Now, of course, they're telling themselves that them having power is for the good of the country, but that's just what they tell themselves. I think most of us would argue or would beg to differ. So, regardless of how we got here, there is now an impeachment inquiry, and I would say, and I have said, that there's we already have more evidence against Biden than the Democrats ever had against Trump to launch their impeachment inquiry. 
And unlike with Trump, we have allegations of crimes, you know, high crimes, misdemeanors, and bribery in particular. And so we're going to hopefully in the next few months and weeks, weeks and months, um, get to the bottom of this. Um, and I fully understand the, the position of a lot of people on the more conservative side, right-leaning people saying, well, you know, why should we bother? Um, the, uh, the Republican or the Senate's not going to convict him in here. Why should we bother? Well, I think first of all, because it is right and just, I would say that President Biden, uh, along with his family, have done a lot to deserve this impeachment. So everything that they are, they're going to have, you know, they have it coming to them. Um, that's just simple justice. And we cannot, the House cannot fail to do its job just because they cannot count on the Senate to do its job. So you have to go, and also, you know, the, these all these uh, facts are going to come out now. It forces the news outlets to cover it. Um, I'm sure they'll put their spin on it. Everything, but they're going to have to cover it, and I, th I think that's the idea. Is that really? It's just justice. You know, people said, "Well, it's just revenge." It's, no, it's just justice. Um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that uh, the president, while he was vice president, did act corruptly and and did. Uh, make deals for money with foreign entities and his son really did benefit a lot from his father uh, holding the second highest office in the land and contrary to popular belief and what uh, the mainstream media will tell you there is plenty of evidence of wrongdoing. You have, I think, something like 170 suspicious activity reports, that, and you have 20 uh, shell accounts, offshore bank accounts, and you have no discernible legal uh, product or service that the Bidens are claiming to have earned all this money. And we know uh, somewhere at least 20,000 estimates go as high as uh, 20,000, 20 million uh, estimates go as high as 50 million dollars have gone through these uh, uh, illicit suspicious bank accounts and all from overseas entities and you have <clears throat> just think about the case for, for the and this is for the people who might be watching who believe but they're being told that there is no evidence and that they will insist that there's no evidence of wrongdoing, criminal wrongdoing or an impeachable offense upon it uh, from, for what Joe Biden did. Well, first of all, let's, we'll have to get past the fact that we have more evidence to support this impeachment than the Democrats had to support either of the impeachments of Donald Trump. So just putting that aside for now, well, let's look at uh, what's being accused. Everybody knows about the high crimes and misdemeanors 
and I think we probably can get something of a high crime somewhere in the mix here. But the other thing that people uh, forget about, that other element of impeachment, is the bribery element. High crimes, misdemeanors, and bribery are impeachable offenses according to the Constitution. And so let's look at that bribery. Of course, um, first of all, is there the potential, the possibility of bribery? Um, and what, what, are we, what, what are the things that would have to have taken place in order for bribery to have occurred? Well, the thing is you would need a quid pro quo, this or that. You'd need some uh, good or money or service or favor for another in exchange for something else. Um, in this case, uh, one of those things is being uh, alleged is that uh, Joe Biden as vice president went to the president of Ukraine um, and he's, he basically told him, you have to fire this prosecutor, um, this prosecutor Shokin, uh, who's been uh, applying pressure to Burisma and being messed with Burisma. Okay, so you have that. So you have something of value being exchanged for something of value. And so here we're uh, alleging, it's being alleged, that money was being exchanged in order for a political favor to be done. And this is to have a, uh, the prosecutor, as I mentioned, fired um, from, basically from his public office in Ukraine. So you have that element. So, okay, what, uh, what other element would you need? Okay, so if you think about those two things, well, you need the alleged act, the reward, the thing that's being bought with the bribe, right? And that would be the firing of Shokin, the prosecutor that just happened to be um, causing a lot of problems for his uh, son's uh, company, Burisma. So you have that. And... and well, how, how do we know? So you have to not just have that. Well, that could have just been a coincidence. We, we were going to do that thing, you know, withhold the money anyway, or the loan guarantees anyway that was being threatened. Maybe, you know, they can argue that they were going to do that anyhow, and that was our policy. So what else do you need? You need some evidence of, well, if you have the bribee, we know who the bribees are. That would be the president and his son. And it turns out other members of his family and other members of his inner circle. Um, so who was the briber? Well, briber was the basically the CEO of Burisma. You know, you know, ringing up a hunter on the phone, say, "Hey, we really need something done from Washington to get the heat off of us." This guy. This prosecutor guy is seizing our assets and causing a lot of problems for us. We need you to use your poll in Washington to help 
and this and there is evidence of that so there's evidence of there so we have evidence of a an act being done a federal act that is being done in exchange for money you know what's being bribed we have a person with a motivation for the bribe okay that that's actually the the leader of Burisma and the other major uh, stakeholders in Burisma at the time we were very interested in having the uh, inspector general uh, taking off their case and so you have that and so the next thing you would need is okay you have this for that now what was exchanged well it is alleged that money was exchanged well we know for a fact that Hunter Biden was receiving an income from Burisma for goods and services um, which are kind of remain undisclosed as far as Hunter's concerned, he's never said what he's done for the money. Um, so he's on the board of Burisma. I think he was taking in like $87,000 a month or something like that. Huge sums of money monthly. And then what's he going to do? He gets a call from his boss and Burisma was really under investigation so that part's not being made up so just the fact that Burisma was under investigation that in and of itself is a piece of evidence you know if you were in a court of law you would say well when they say they were in trouble with this uh, prosecutor was that really the case and they can say yes uh, they were seizing the assets of various interests of Burisma um, so yes, that that was actually real, and that is evidence um, for you fact checkers out there. That is what we call evidence. And so you have the deed that was done for allegedly for the bribe. You have uh, what was needed to be done, which was the removal of the prosecutor and you need you need consideration for that bribe and of course as I mentioned uh, Hunter Biden was sitting at the board of Burisma raking in a handsome salary for doing God knows what well we, what we believe and what's been alleged and what's actually been said um, is that they were selling the brand they were selling the Biden brand and they're selling the influence that uh, the Vice President of the United States could levy against uh, any foreign power, in this case, uh, Ukraine. And so you have that. You have proof there was communication between the Bidens and members of the Ukrainian. We have proof that uh, then Vice President Biden talked to uh, I think it was then uh, President Poroshenko um, saying, hey, we need to do something about this guy, um, Shokin, who's uh, investigating Burisma. Um, maybe it wasn't that so many words, but that was the gist of it. And so we, ha we have that, and that's what we would call evidence. 
And then, so if you have the quid and the pro and the quo, um, they need, well, how, if you say that he received money and uh, the Bidens received money, how did they receive money for their political favors? And we know that also. We know they had 20 shell companies. We know that they were set up and that the setups of these shell companies and the actions within these shell companies set off the alarm bells within the banks involved and they put out these suspicious activity uh, reports, these SAR reports. Um, apparently it's very hard to get a SAR report on you. Most people who have bank accounts, even millionaires and billionaires, never receive one and apparently the Bidens received like uh, I believe it was 170 of those SAR reports and so basically to get a, a SAR report um, that basically is the bank saying listen something illegal is going on some sort of money laundering seems to be going on you know the because the bank doesn't want to go through all that trouble and each of these SAR reports individually is evidence okay so if you were having a trial again you would uh, the the prosecutors would submit all of these SAR reports into evidence and obviously the defense is not going to do that because that's not going to help them so it's going to be the prosecution that's doing that. so each of those um, over a hundred SAR reports would be admissible as evidence and each one of the SAR reports can be, you know, a thousand pages. And so each one of those pages of the SAR reports is also evidence. You know, the, the money was moved from A to B through person C. And there is no tax coming in or out or whatever it is that set off the red flags and or this company is not registered anywhere that we can see legally or whatever it is that set off the red flag for the SARS report so basically each fact in each individual SARS report so now we can be talking about hundreds even thousands of facts uh, that are in turn could be seen as evidence okay so now you have what was done for the bride you have what was asked and what was given for the bribe you have proof of the money landing in the accounts and you have proof uh, in various instances we know that some of the money in the accounts came through uh, China members of the Chinese Communist Party you know at least uh, I heard one instance where there was money that came from Romania and by the way coincidentally uh, very proximate to the time that that money was m uh, being moved from Romania there was a uh, very beneficial policy that was decided in the favor of a particular Romanian uh, who would have guessed it and so you have evidence of quid pro quo there in uh, numerous instances obviously the strongest one 
would be the Ukrainian one with the uh, firing the prosecutor because you have uh, Biden uh, basically bragging to the uh, Council on Foreign Relations that he did this and he said well you know if you don't fire this prosecutor you're not getting the money you're not getting this loan guarantee the billion dollar loan guarantee and he says uh, son of the bitch uh, the guy was fired so he's actually literally confessing on videotape to at least a portion of what was done um, to receive the bribe or what's being alleged was the action that was requested by the bribe money and so that's literally on videotape that videotape of course would be evidence and then you have the testimony um, that you would hear that there's a phone call uh, one I think it was Poroshenko at the time uh, saying that uh, we fired this guy that you want us to fire even though he was not corrupt he was perfectly good from what we could see we fired him anyhow and then uh, pro uh, Vice President then at the time Biden said we're gonna have a signing ceremony for this uh, billion dollar loan guarantee and so and it is ironic you know because what was the um, what was the uh, impeachment first impeachment of Trump about well that was alleged that Trump was holding back uh, money approved by Congress by the taxpayers illegally from the Ukrainians because he needed a uh, beneficial political favor done and so that's what they alleged and so it's funny when you see every element of that allegation that was lodged against uh, Trump in his impeachment every single element of that is present for the Biden uh, uh, impeachment inquiry so you have that so when people say there's no evidence they are being intellectually dishonest they're parsing words really in phrases even past the point of breaking where it's like no that's just not true because when they when they're saying there's no evidence what they're saying to you know to themselves to just to justify it not being a lie is they're saying that we don't have videotape evidence of a bag of money being exchanged to Hunter or uh, President Biden and President Biden or Hunter, or Hunter saying uh, yes thank you for this money for getting rid of the prosecutor that's literally what you know in their minds what they're talking about when they say there's no evidence they're saying there's no direct evidence and actually there's uh, some are, would argue um, some direct evidence of elements of what happened maybe not the entire thing in a, in a nutshell but there is uh, circumstantial evidence of course you know there was the favor and there was the money and there was the lucrative deal with Burisma and there was the shell accounts um, so what hopefully um, th now that we have this 
um, impeachment inquiry, which gives the the um, the House, the, the GOP in the House, they have subpoena powers. So it makes it harder for anybody to resist the subpoena and just say no. And but of course, what's going to happen is, and this also makes it worthwhile, I think, in my eyes is that when you bring up someone like Hunter Biden or even the President of the United States to testify uh, in sworn testimony because now it's going to be sworn and now he's subject to perjury and all that um, when he takes the Fifth Amendment now of course that is not an implication of guilt um, but everybody knows that if you're taking the Fifth Amendment um, that's probably on the vice of counsel. That means you don't want to give information that's going to be injurious to you. And of course, it doesn't mean you did anything wrong necessarily. But yeah, it's um, there's no no getting wrong, no getting uh, around the suspicious nature of that. And it works, you know, both ways. You know, if Trump says pleads fifth, which you might. Do I mean that's obviously going to be touted from left-wing media, and see that's proof of his guilt right there. So sure, it does both work both ways, but you know it. You know you can see that the uh, campaign commercial being written where they ask him a direct question: Did you accept the bribe? And President of the United States says, on the advice of counsel, I would like to plead the Fifth Amendment. I would like to exercise my Fifth Amendment rights under the Constitution. Probably more like you say, you know, really formal like that. And so, you know, you have that uh, um, campaign ad that pretty much is eventually, it's destined almost to be written in that way, and of course there is you know, uncovered. There'll be un, there'll be physical evidence. There'll be bank accounts. They'll be able to see well what went into this bank account, what went out, when did it go out, who did it go to? Because really the only missing piece, I guess the only missing link in is is it is some direct payment going to the big guy going to. Biden, because they identified all these accounts. Hunter, of course. Um, I think Jim Biden had the account, another account, and there's another unnamed Biden account, which we can assume pretty safely is the big guy is is going to be turned out to be Joe Biden's own account, and of course you have payments. So you can also say, well. You know, maybe Hunter did something wrong, or maybe Hunter accepted money, but there's no proof that Joe Biden accepted money. Well, except uh, Hunter Biden is on record saying that he was given, uh, you know, you know, the ten percent to the big guy, and several statements of that nature where he's giving money to his father, and he's complaining about it. Uh, in phone calls or in emails to his, I guess, his relatives. And so you have all that information. So really, 
you know, if you can find that one last piece, that smoking gun, that one element that links some payment that's being, that uh, Joe Biden was being paid, either directly or indirectly, that's still a bribe. And of course, even accepting something of value, well, you know what, money for your son, for him, or money for your family members, well, that's something of value to you, isn't it? I mean, it sure would be to me or you, um, if you could give a loved one, you know, a million dollars, um, that would be beneficial, something beneficial to you. If someone said, you do this and I'll give all of your relatives a million dollars, you know, that's just as much a bribe as taking the million dollars yourself. And so they're going to have to deal with that. So finally, um, Kevin McCarthy was uh, dragged kicking and screaming after getting whole cold feet into doing this impeachment inquiry, uh, something that uh, Pelosi did not need as much, nearly as much cajoling from her base to do, or her or her party. You know, some, you know, I don't think. Uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi had to be uh, threatened with, you know, have, have her speakership threatened in order to get uh, impeachment inquiry going against Trump. But, okay, so where we are now, and what's really important is we make the best of the time we have and put a serious effort into making a real case, a case like a, prox a prosecutor would make... Um, you know, a federal prosecutor would make a legal case in, in the court of law. That is what the uh, um, GOP has to do now. So they have to resist the idea or temptation to grandstand and, you know, yell at the witnesses and didn't you do this and didn't you do that? Um, you know, let them talk because, you know, we know, I mean, we pretty much know, that they're wrong. They know that they're wrong. So that the more they talk, the more they're going to incriminate themselves. That's just just the way it is. So, you know, no need for grandstanding. Just let, ask them the questions. You know, make them serious questions. Make the questions have a point. And ask, don't be afraid to ask the tough questions. And, you know, go from there. Don't be afraid to prosecute this you know, you got to resist the temptation to grandstand and bloviate and make your speeches and then limit your question to, and then you have only five seconds left to ask an actual question. That's not what you want to do. You want to use your time wisely and smartly and be professional about this. Pursue this in a professional manner is what I'm saying. So, okay. So, no matter how we got here, uh, we're here, and okay, we can move on from you know the internal fights with uh, Gates and and uh, Speaker McCarthy, and we get past that, and actually to the business side hand, and so hopefully we'll use they'll use their time well, and so obviously there's going to be a little bit more news in the future about this matter. 
And so now what I like to do is kind of my favorite thing. You know, we haven't done it in a while, do a, a proper dystopic journal segment. So here it goes with our favorite book, 1984 by George Orwell. And rather, you know, examining a particular passage or particular idea or a chapter. Um, just want to go over kind of like some of the general concepts of Orwell's 1984. So I'm going to start out with basically uh, what some would consider like the main thesis sentence of the book or the climactic sentence of the book where um, it's O'Brien through, you know, George Orwell through his character O'Brien is talking um, <clears throat> to Winston, uh, the person who, who he's captured, he's suckered in by, he's lured in to betraying Big Brother and now he's being interrogated and brainwashed all at once. And so this is O'Brien's words to Winston during the the uh, brainwashing portion of the session and this is again is like the thesis sentence of the book where he says if you want a picture of the future imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever and of course he is referring to the party of big brothers um, keeping the uh, regular people down uh, basically in a very uh, sadistic manner uh, talks about humiliation of people and you know when other all of the other pleasures are gone there will still be the pleasure of power of exercising power and that comes in the form of uh, humiliation Okay, so now I'm going to read a bit uh, from the surrounding passages, that passage and the passage that surround it, um, to kind of, again, hammer home that idea. So, he's, uh, again, says O'Brien, When we are omnipotent, we shall have no need of science. There will be no distinction between beauty and ugliness. There will be no curiosity, no enjoyment of the process of life. All competing pleasures will be destroyed, but always, do not forget this, Winston, always there will be the intoxication of power constantly increasing and constantly growing subtler. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. And again, that is one of the key passages of Orwell's 1984, uh, basically depicting the purely sadistic nature of uh, what the uh, cult of Big Brother, um, the, the party, you know, the Insoc party is all about, really. Because, as you mentioned in other parts of the book, you know, they, they think it's ideology, 
You know, you had the communists and the socialists and the fascists. Well, they didn't get it quite right because they didn't have, they weren't clear about their goals with their ideology. And so O'Brien is basically bragging about, you know, we figured it out with Big Brother and the Insock Party. We figured it out that the point of having power, the purpose of power is power. So it's a means onto itself. And all these things about equal rights and a classless society and all these things that the socialists and the communists believed in and were all for. That was basically all BS. That was just all an excuse that they knew they, they would go along with in order for the, the, the leaders to get the power they really wanted. And so... You know, every year since, you know, those words were written, um, we've been inching closer to that dystopia. Now we are almost there. In the world of 1984, uh, or, well, if the 1984 was still on the horizon back in 1949, when the book was first published, uh, that world is now within shouting distance. Uh, the naked authoritarianism, abandonment of liberalism, the surveillance state, the mutilation of the English language for purposes of gaining power are already here. Of course, we can see that in everyday life where a term, basic terms like man and woman are being redefined. And of course, the use of like fascist, uh, being used interchangeable and racist, being interchangeable with Republican or conservative, you know, improperly, of course, but, you know, the bastardization of the English language, that's already here. And so you already have doublespeak and uh, thought crimes because you have the cancel culture. And so if you air your thoughts online, or in person, in fact, uh, you can be canceled. And of course, in some countries like Great Britain, you can actually be arrested just for saying supposedly offensive things that aren't illegal, but because they're offensive, you can get what's called, I believe uh, it's, I don't know, non-crime crime. Non, um, <clears throat> It's considered a, a, not a crime, but it is a crime, basically. It's like getting a speeding ticket. And, but, anyhow, you already have that. Um, we've seen a good taste of the authoritarianism that was, uh, people were prepared to level at us during the COVID-19 crisis of a couple of years ago. Um, particularly in uh, places like uh, Canada and Australia, where they had really draconian measures going on, where entire cities were locked down for weeks on end, and if you ventured too far away from your home for too long, um, you could be uh, fined and arrested. And indeed, it, it was... Um, the government encouraged people to rat out on their neighbors and their relatives if they thought they were out for too long 
of a walk or went someplace like the store that they weren't supposed to go to and they're outside too much against the the will of the state during the COVID emergency and so you had all this authoritarianism the suspension of the constitution you know the well the de facto suspension of the constitution in many states where you no longer had the freedom of of assembly, of freedom of religion, or freedom of speech, of course that was removed from you. The um, federal government suborned the censorship or censoring of certain were or you know studies and mentioning certain phrases and any thought uh, that went against the COVID narrative that might make people reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine or wear a mask, anything that uh, would encourage people to think for themselves and act for themselves and use their own best judgment, things like that. Uh, stuff like that was actively dissuaded and the federal government was uh, actively suborning the censorship of free speech by applying pressure to the various social media groups um, like Facebook and uh, Twitter, which is now X. Um, and of, of course, you had cancel culture, you know, with, after January 6th, taking down Parler. You know, that, you know, was up briefly and now it's pretty much gone. It's just an advertisement site. Um, so you have Parler has gone away thanks to uh, cancel culture and other people have submitted to the cancel culture. And so you have all this authoritarianism, you had you know, uh, COVID, you know, people weren't allowed to organize, people were arrested, taken out of their own homes for trying to just organize. One lady in Australia was arrested for just putting out, say, hey, I'm going to be in this park on this day in protest of the COVID uh, restrictions, uh, basically saying just that, and she was arrested. Um, I don't know what the actual charge was, but it's basically, you know, something acting against the, the needs of the state. And so you have that, and also you have, like in... 1984, you have misinformation, disinformation. Um, so, you know, you have all, all of these forces acting against the free will and the free thought and the free association of people, particularly when a one group of elites doesn't like it. And of course, that's taken to the extreme and with the, the Insock Party in 1984, the Big Brother Party, you know, they have their experts, uh, you know, they have their inner circle of the party making decisions for everybody else. And so we, every year since basically that book was published, we've inched closer um, to that book becoming reality. Uh, it seems that the more the left has gained control over our popular culture, academia, and the news media, the faster we seem to be hurtling towards this dystopian future. 
the only thing that seems to slow it down is the active, not passive, but active resistance to it by a great number of people, uh, such as you and me and anybody we might want to talk to, anybody we want to reach. And of course, there's plenty of other podcasters out there uh, that you can think of that also uh, encourage people to resist against this uh, culture of totalitarianism. And so it does seem like the more the left has taken control, the faster and faster we've sped towards this uh, 1984 dystopic uh, scenario like they had in the fictional country of Oceania, where Winston lived, uh, where, where most of it, uh, 1984 takes place. And so my appeal to you, uh, you know, if you haven't figured it out yet, is just continue to resist and uh, encourage other people and talk to other people. Maybe you know, not every case you have to try and own the libs or belittle people. Just ask them. It's like, hey, you know, did you know that the World Economic Forum or uh, Agenda 21 would have uh, no fossil fuels? They're aiming for uh, mid-century for no fossil fuels. And then maybe they'll say no. And it's like, well, you know, that would include your gas range. And then, you know, did you know that they, uh, you know, if you had a digital currency, they will have the means to stop any transaction going to or from your account. They can, they can keep you from receiving money and they can prevent you from uh, sending out money. And they will know where every single cent that you spent goes and you know just ask them about that and how they feel about that it's like what what do you think of a government with that power would you trust any government with that much power of course they'll say no I mean they might sense that you're uh, a libertarian or conservative they'll say well would you trust uh, Donald Trump with power with that sort of power and they'll say no you know because they can't deny you know even though they would love to have that power used for their purposes and the purposes of their leaders people are who are probably using them um, and that these a lot of these people are just useful idiots as the Soviets would call them yeah these people um, have never really thought of what a uh, digital currency would mean for them. You know, they they haven't uh, yet been made to think about, well, what if the government thinks you're spending too much money on energy and your lights are and your stove doesn't work for so many hours a day or you can only cool your... Uh, put your AC, you can only set your a AC down or to 80 degrees during the summer. And you can have it at, you know, set for like 50 or 60 during the winter, and that's the most they're going to let you have. You know, are you okay with that? Uh, because they already 
are busy working in integrating that technology into us, you know, into our society today. They are already trying to push, you know, the smart thermostats that can be controlled remotely. And if they think that, you know, you're using too much electricity or they don't want too many people using electricity, then they can stop it. They can shut it off or lower your thermostat or raise it as they see fit, not as you see fit. Now, are you fine with people having that sort of control over your life? And would you want Donald Trump knowing what sort of books you've read, what books you've uh, uh, ordered from Amazon, or what movies you've seen, or what charities you've given to, or what causes you've given to? Would you want Donald Trump to know all that? And then that forces them to confront the idea of that. And so that's why, um, you know, it's almost a meme today where where it said that, you know, Orwell's 1984 was meant to be a warning, not an instruction manual. Well, apparently um, there are those on the left who seem to literally, not figuratively or and that they literally are looking at 1984 and, and point out, yes, we could do this. We need this is good. And they're looking at portions of 1984, the double speak and the control of the people and the surveillance state, and they think it's fine. They they think it's fine, and that's the problem. We have to make that abnormal again. Make that sort of thinking abnormal and unacceptable in polite civilization polite society again where we have to say no you're not gonna uh, try and convince me that men are can be women and women can be men uh, at will and things like that and you're you're not gonna uh, we're not going to allow you to get away with redefining fascism so it covers just about anybody who's not on the left you know, we're not going to allow you to do that. And by the way, um, wearing masks is, it was a weird thing before COVID, and we're going to make it strange and odd again. And we're going to make it awkward for people uh, to go out in public and wear masks. Now, we're not going to tell them that they can't wear masks. They can, they can wear masks in public if they want to. But... As I said before on the podcast, um, and I'm getting off on a little tangent here, but still related, I think. You know, remember the first time if you had to wear a mask, particularly if you were in a blue state, in public, how awkward it felt. You wondered, is everybody else going to wear it? You know, is anybody else going to be doing this? Am I the only one stupid enough to do this? And how awkward it felt the first time you wear a mask. You need to retain that memory and know that that was normal and sane, and it still is, even after COVID. Um, And that wearing masks in public is not normal behavior for people, at least not in the West. I mean, people in Japan or other countries in Asia, that's more normal for in their culture, but in Western culture, Western civilization, that's not normal. And we have to keep it not normal. We have to. And it starts, you know, keeping the mentality in your head 
that it's not it's not going to be accepted as normal. And so we need um, active, not passive resistance. Of course, passive resistance is fine when you can't do active resistance. But you have to say, why are we doing? Why are we wearing masks? You know, you know, do you know where where who has been helped by a mask? Who can raise their hand and say, well, I didn't get COVID because I wore a mask. Who can definitively say that? Um, they told you that you couldn't get uh, COVID probably if you had a shot, if you had the COVID vaccine. Well, raise your hand if you've had the vaccine and you've had COVID. Okay, so we can dispense with that line of logic and so on. And we just need to point that out and not let things slide. I know not everybody is created to be an activist or um, a you know libertarian you know warrior or or you know you know outspoken you know it's not normal for some people to be outspoken and and say anything because it's just awkward to them but just do it a little. If you're not doing it all, do it a little. And if you're doing a little, do it a little bit more. And if you're doing a lot, you'll do it. Keep doing it a lot. But you know that's that's the only way we roll it back, because right now we're hurtling towards this world of 1984, and we have technology beyond what even Orwell even imagined. You know, controlling the dollars, controlling what you eat and having control, basically mind control over you uh, through the influence of TV and social media and things like that. In the culture, we have to fight against all of it because we are, you know, we're not just in a cold civil war in the United States, but all of Western civilization basically is in a cold civil war, just some of us more than others. Um, as our Can Canadian friends will tell tell you, and our, our British friends will probably tell you, um, they know what it's like to deal with the wokeism and the, uh, all the madness that goes on with leftism. And so that is my warning and my rant and our discussion of dystopia, why we don't like them and how we can try and prevent them. And only through the efforts, consistent efforts, you know, they did this, remember, over the process of a hundred years. They started out in the early 20th century, you know, really came into fruition back in the 1920s. Now we are in the 2020s. And so it's, they've had a solid year by which to develop and push towards their leftist utopia. Not unlike, it turns out, what Orwell warned us about in 1984, and of course Aldous Huxley and, and others also, you know, in Brave New World and stuff like that. So the only way we can avoid that fate, or something very like that fate, is to take, um, to pay attention to what's going on first and then speak out whenever we can, whenever we get a chance, in the way that best fits our personality and who we are too. 
And so with that, um, I want to thank you for watching and or listening to the podcast. So please um, like and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And if you have, thank you. Please follow Liberty Relearned online, libertyrelearned.com, Liberty Relearned on Facebook, and at LR Podcast on Getter. And uh, also watch for us on Rumble if you don't already, and uh, on Spotify also. That is the native um, podcast. Um, it, this podcast is a native of Spotify, but you can reach it on iTunes or iPhones or whatever, uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever. A bunch of different places. So wherever you can find us, keep watching and listening and like and subscribe and like every episode if you happen to have if you happen to like what I said. Alright, thank you very much once again and until next time, stay healthy, happy and free.